0: I had an email exchange with an Afghan who I've known 10, 11 years, who worked in the culture sector, and he's trying to get out of the country with his children and grandchildren. He was asking me, how does he get out of the country? My response was, I don't know how you do that. And I closed the email with, we must keep hope, even if he's desperate to get out and the winter is coming. I don't know what his situation is. Does he have enough food for his whole family? I, I didn't get that personal with him, but um, it's a lot of person-centered work that I'm doing right now. It's not in the abstract. I am communicating with many people on a daily basis where I take time to write thoughtful emails back to them because I don't want my emails to be thoughtless.
1: I have... There Have been moments when you've been at a loss for what to say?
0: Oh, many moments. And sometimes I have to wait days before I can think of how to answer a particular person's pleas, as in, you know, to help them. Some days I just don't have it in me. While I sit comfortably in my house with a fridge full of food, I don't know what to say.
1: This is Monuments Woman with Laura Tedesco. I'm your host, George Gavrilis. Today, we're continuing on Laura's journey into Afghanistan. If you're new to this podcast, we recommend going back to start with episode one. For everyone else, welcome back. Let's jump in. I wonder what's happening at Messinock. Is the place just shuttered and lightly guarded?
0: Very good question. I don't know. I saw a BBC clip from early mid-September, where a BBC journalist went to Messinac and the Taliban took this journalist around with a camera crew. And the Taliban were all over that archaeological site. They knew where everything was. The Buddha statues that were left in place, the stupas, they had clearly canvassed it well they, the Taliban, were eager to be on camera because it was propaganda for them to say how they're going to protect Afghanistan's heritage. That's what was the purpose of this. And they were also there to say that they want the Chinese to start mining because I'm pretty familiar with the complexity of issues at Mess I Knock. I was sort of scratching my head and I was like, all right, Taliban, how are you going to do that? How are you going to get the Chinese to mine and protect the stuff? What are you going to do about that? One of the projects that has been ongoing since August 15th, when the Taliban really just sort of pac manned their way into Kabul, is the University of Chicago. I've been working with them for almost 10 years. The State Department has been supporting them to do a lot of work in the National Museum and with this mobile museums project that we've talked about of sending our artifacts out to schools and... They helped produce the Nicholsburg book. They've been a very close contact. I kind of refer to them as the dream team for me. And they have been using declassified satellite imagery to monitor the archaeological landscape as a way to track what is happening to Afghanistan's archaeological sites. Now that there's no one on the ground to be able to verify what's happening, are sites being looted Are sites being destroyed through bulldozing? Are new buildings going up on old Balahisars? You can see all of this through very high-definition satellite imagery. That's something that's ongoing and I hope will continue for many months to come because that's very important information because that's really going to touch on the illegal traffic of antiquities out of Afghanistan. And we're already expecting to see a lot of that.
1: So all of these marvelously precise satellite photos that the University of Chicago team is getting, are they seeing any evidence of looting or even smaller things that are of concern, activity around archaeological sites that shouldn't be
0: there? Right, right. My last update from the University of Chicago on precisely what they're seeing, it's about 10 days old. They were not seeing an increase in looting since August 15th, but they did see very active looting starting about the time the North fell, even as much as in the summer of 2020. And then you have to remember in the winter, the snow is covering the ground and it's too cold and the ground is hard, so it's difficult to dig or bulldoze. What the satellite imagery was showing was a real uptick in wanton bulldozing excavation at known archaeological sites in the north that likely would have been part of this Bactrian tradition, like we've talked about the Bactrian treasure from Jow's John. Yeah. So whatever those looters are finding, it's now <laughs> probably circulating on the illegal art market.
1: And here's an important question. Those satellite photos that we're detecting pre-August 15th looting. Yeah. Were those in districts that had fallen to the Taliban or before the fall to the Taliban?
0: Okay, so you've asked the same question that I asked myself.
1: Right, because I want to know who's responsible.
0: Exactly. I simply have not had a chance to align the precise GPS location of where this looting is taking place in the north and then cross-check that with what was happening with Taliban takeover in the North. like Who was controlling the space on the date that a satellite image captured illegal excavation of archaeological sites? Was it the Taliban or was it another power broker in that area who had control? So it's clear that the previous Republic of Afghanistan government authorities had lost control But there was this intervening period between complete takeover by the Taliban and other power brokers. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see. So you've asked a great question. And I actually am planning to go to Chicago in about a month to talk to this team precisely about this.
1: Wow. Well, stay tuned, huh?
0: So it would be really interesting to find out. But why documenting this is important? It won't prevent the artifacts from going onto the illegal market. They're probably already flowing and might have made their way now into a Central Asian country. And they're on their way to Europe or East Asia or somewhere in the Gulf where a lot of this illegal purchasing takes place. If we can document through the satellite imagery, looting, and we know what archaeological sites those were, like were they Bactrian, were they Buddhist, were they early Islamic, and then we start to see a kind of injection into the art market of these types of artifacts, it helps to triangulate the information in a way, to better know, oh, these probably came from Afghanistan and they were looted in the summer of 2020. And now they're showing up in a gallery in Antwerp or in New York, for example, or in Sharjah or Dubai or, you know.
1: Wow. What could they have possibly found oh. digging up these sites the way they did?
0: Oh, if they found tombs, I mean, the tombs could have had a great deal of wealth. Gold, turquoise, lapis, you know, glitzy material that you would see in the Bactrian treasure, which is safely stored in the presidential palace right now.
1: Are you saying that with great certainty or it's a hope?
0: No, I'm reasonably confident that actually the material stored in the palace remains stored in the central bank vault.
1: Is that because the Taliban doesn't have the combination? I don't
0: know. They don't know. and left them the key? <laughs> I don't know.
1: I'm presuming it's more than one of those gym locker combinations with three numbers that you have to get right.
0: right like, yeah, a padlock where you spin it and you got to get the numbers.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, damn! I skipped the number again. Can't <laughs> I can't open it. Think that's <laughs> Try again. It. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Those days, I don't yeah.
0: think that's it, or like a piece of tape over the door with someone's signature. So, you, like, if it, the door is open <laughs> and the tape is broken, you know, it's been,
1: yeah. Too. But, Dan, but what you're saying about tombs that might have been looted is that there could have been potentially amazing stuff in there. Oh,
0: oh, yeah, I think that we can say that with a lot of confidence. Yeah.
1: Well. How do you feel about publicizing this kind of stuff? Is it generally good to let it be known out there in the ether that there are satellite photos showing looting, Mm -hmm. that you know where the looting is taking place, Mm -hmm. you know what kinds of artifacts would generally come out of these areas? Does that help deter looters?
0: Mm -hmm. That's the idea. Probably not deter looters.
1: I guess the buyers, potential buyers. That's
0: the idea, that it would would de-incentivize the buyers. Is that effective? I don't know.
1: And here's another question. Go ahead. Do you then, through your State Department colleagues and bosses, take this to the Taliban and say, look guys, you got to clamp down on this? Or is that not even a possibility given where we
0: are? Today, if I were to ask my State Department colleagues who are twice a week meeting with the Taliban hey, guys, would you mind raising with the Taliban this issue of looting of archaeological sites? My State Department colleagues would probably say, no, that is not a priority. We've got other priorities that are invisible to you, Tedesco, and looting of archaeological sites is not one of those 27 priorities we're trying to get negotiated. But I still make the ask... You know, on a not irregular basis, I still ask, like, hey, when you're with, you know, would you mind just asking them about the National Museum? And on only one occasion was my ask honored to ask the Taliban to please protect the National Museum. And I got a response that they said they would. They were committed to it. I wonder who's tending to the garden. And, you know, the Rose Garden is amazing. But more importantly than the garden, I wonder who's tending to anything inside. I don't know. I still have not heard that the Taliban have appointed a new director, so.
1: Yeah. Back in August, there was a poet and folk singer who I think in host city was dragged out of his home and killed. Then there was a poet in Eastern Afghanistan who was killed as well, just in October. There were the wedding guests that were killed on Friday.
0: Yeah, right. In
1: Nangarhar for allegedly playing music at the wedding, which is not banned. Right. And what's both tragic and interesting to me is that the Taliban isn't necessarily behind all of these. Mm -hmm. If you're a creative person in Afghanistan and you rely on art or singing or culture, Mm -hmm. it's not just the Taliban that are your enemies. Oh, yeah. It's potentially Islamic State or somebody that wants to silence Mm -hmm. you. This Pashtun poet was known for composing poetry about the unification of all Pashtuns. Mm -hmm. And so he was hated by Pakistani security forces. And so the Taliban simply looked the other way while covert forces operating on behalf of Pakistan killed him.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know who may have been motivated to kill this poet. The fact that he was killed is tragic. It really underlines the power of culture and art, that his poetry was powerful enough to have him killed.
1: Mm, That's right.
0: So that in itself is a reason to continue efforts to preserve heritage and to preserve culture. The Taliban and Al-Qaeda thought the Buddhas of Bamiyan were symbolically significant Enough to want to obliterate them. The U.S. can have a very powerful counter-message if we say we respect heritage enough to preserve it.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Incidentally, the poet who was murdered, he didn't make international news.
0: It often doesn't.
1: This was largely reported in Dari language and Pashto language social media. Yeah. His name was Helaman one Mm -hmm.
0: suppressing the artists and killing the artists isn't anything that isis-k or the taliban invented that's for sure
1: no Um, ancient times mm -hmm. yeah and of course we perfected it in the modern era we know what happened in europe during the wars
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and hey thank you for that observation about the power of culture
0: yeah we often don't realize how powerful it is until it's gone
1: Hey, how's Frank doing? Or Frank. Frank is the proper French pronunciation. I don't pronounce French well, FYI. Yeah. I pronounce it pretty dreadfully.
0: Do you? Yeah. The French will mock you for that. Mercilessly. I get mocked
1: at home. I get mocked at home.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They'll just roll their eyes.
1: (laughs) Which is a little bit of a problem when you pronounce French as brutally as I do, and you're working on a book on a French city. Oops.
0: (laughs) Oh, are you?
1: Yeah, I'm working on a book about the history of Marseille.
0: I did not know yeah.
1: that. Mm, yeah, I'm full of surprises. You are. I? We got to yeah. talk
0: more about that.
1: Yeah, Marseille's is pretty cool.
0: Oh, and yeah, yes, it is. Talk about yeah. complex cities.
1: Complex city. Great new museum, by the way. Relatively new museum. I think it's called the Museum of Mediterranean Civilizations. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful new museum on the edge of the harbor, right? by the ramparts of this fort protecting the the harbor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: But you asked me about Frank. He's doing great. Yeah. He's doing great. And he does not listen to the podcast. Not really. I mean, I think he's on episode four.
1: (laughs) Has he gotten to your daughter's episode yet? No.
0: We haven't kept it a secret. Yeah. I was saying to Frank just two days ago that when I stopped traveling, not just to Afghanistan, but tra- like the rest of the world, we all stopped traveling 19 months ago at the start of COVID. And it was a very big change for me because I probably spent four or five months a year away from home, not all at one time, but making multiple trips a year. And I'd, you know, go for two, three weeks at a time and commuting to Washington, DC. And suddenly at the start of COVID, I was home. All the time, my big outings were to the grocery store. Like that felt like a big day for me. And the first few weeks of that were kind of bumpy, you know, where I was itching to. I want to go somewhere. I'm I'm supposed to go to Kyrgyzstan, and that was canceled. But I said to Frank the other day how much I enjoy spending time with him, and I wouldn't want to spend time with anybody else. Did you ever see that movie Best in Show?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: So there's one quote in that where yeah. it's like one of the characters says about her ancient husband and Frank is not ancient. He's actually younger than me. Yeah. Where she says we could talk or not talk.
1: Talk or not talk for hours. For hours.
0: <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> yes. we'll eat soup.
1: <laughs> he loves soup. I love yes. soup.
0: <laughs> it's the absurdity yes. that whole movie was hilarious. That's sort of how I feel. Like sometimes we could talk or not talk for hours.
1: <laughs> Would you believe that Antonio and I always use that phrase about each other? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Parallel lives. How funny.
0: Right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Frank's doing great. Thanks for asking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to to hear that. He is the only Frenchman I know who for breakfast has Coke <laughs> with donuts.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. He likes his sweets. Yeah. It's usually diet coke for the record.
1: Yeah. He's very trim.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, he has a sweet tooth. Yeah. I always buy him chocolate.
1: You've been listening to Monuments Woman with Laura Tedesco. I'm your host, George Gavrilis. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To stay in touch, also follow us on Instagram at The Monuments Woman. Join us next week when we dive deeper. This show is produced by Christian D. Brun and May 11 Project. It is recorded by Audavita Studios and edited by Sean Hedinger and Greg Williams. Our theme song is This Love by Ariana Dalawari featuring Salar Nader. Produced by Aude Studios.